Hello, my friends. Welcome to the FBCC Chapel Podcast. The Bible says in Psalms how God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, it is our prayer that as you listen, you be refreshed, challenged, and encouraged to be a servant for the Master. And now for today's chapel message. Amen. Glad to be here with you all today. Take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Romans this morning. Romans, and we'll be in uh, two different passages. And uh, we'll begin at Romans chapter 5, and that will be our launching point. And then we'll be heading into Romans chapter 12 uh, this morning. But like I said, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. And I always count it a privilege when I get to open God's word and to preach from it. And at this season, as we uh, consider Remembrance Day and as we look towards honoring veterans tomorrow, you know, our hearts at this time are naturally drawn to reflect on the sacrifice and the selfless love that was demonstrated by our veterans. You know, oftentimes you maybe go to the mall, the store, and you'll see the veteran there uh, collecting money and giving out poppies, or I don't know if you've been to Ottawa to the um, National War Monument, and you see the soldier, soldier standing guard. And our hearts are drawn to reflect upon that and to remember. We honor those who laid down their lives in love for their country. And the freedoms that we enjoy today are partially because of the sacrifice that was given. And we recognize the sacrifice that was made by soldiers who dared to face the perils of war. And we all can see that today, and war is not a a pretty sight to bear, but they braved and dare to face the perils of war. And their sacrifice reflects on the greatest love that man can give, and we actually see that in Scripture. John 15, 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this picture here is an agape love, and if you know anything about the Greek language and the different types of love that there are, this is a sacrificial love. It's not a phileo love or a brotherly love. This is the love that God has for us. And if you're with me this morning in Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses uh, 6 to 8. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would yet or would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And let's pray this morning as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for your love and the sacrifice that we've seen on the cross. And Lord, this morning as we consider sacrifice and in our own lives, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us, your spirit would work on our hearts, Lord, and that we'd all draw closer to you through this message. And we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Now these verses here in Romans are some of my favorite verses in scripture. In fact, there's some of these verses, when I read them, I just can't get over them because of the love that we see that God has for us. It says, for scarcely uh, for a righteous man will one die. Here we see an example of earthly love that we may be able to experience in our lives. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. The idea is here is that, you know what, for, for some people, maybe they'll give their life for somebody who's righteous. That's a just man who's, who's perfect in his standing. For a good man, someone even dare to die. You know, let's take it down a level. Somebody who's still good, 
some would even consider dying for them. But then we see this true picture of God's agape love where it says, God commendeth his love toward us. You know, Christ did not die for the righteous and godly man. He did not die for the good and the pure man. It says, for when we are yet without strength, that's when we were spiritually deprived. We were worthless, useless, unable to help ourselves. Christ died for us. When we were ungodly, which is the very opposite of godly or righteous or good, Christ died for us. When we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we see that agape, sacrificial love of Jesus dying on the cross for us in our sinful state. You know, I have an eight-year-old son. I know many of you met him, Simon. And I would do anything for my son. You know, I wouldn't think twice to give my life for my son. I wouldn't even question it if that was the situation that would arise. But the truth is, I wouldn't give my life for just anyone. I would like to think maybe in, under certain circumstances, I would act honorably and I would give my life under the right circumstances. But if I was to make a thought out decision and I was trying to be wise, I'm not just gonna give my life uh, up for even somebody I know well because I need to be there for my wife and my, for my son. But let alone somebody who I don't know or somebody that I dislike or somebody that I hate or somebody who in our eyes deserves to die for the life that they lived or someone ungodly. But that's what Jesus Christ did for us, the sacrifice that he gave for us. So you understand the idea that I would die for my son. It's not that hard for us to grasp. Many of you understand that concept of willing to give your life for someone they care for or a parent willing to give their life for their child. It doesn't take much to grasp that idea. But I would never sacrifice my son on somebody's behalf. I wouldn't, think, I, I wouldn't even consider that. I would give my life for him, but would I give my life, his life for somebody else? No, there's, there was ne that would never come across my mind. But I want you to consider this. That is what God did for us. God sent his son to die for us as a sacrifice. He sent his son to die for the wicked. He sent his son to die for the ungodly. So Christ died for those whom man would never die for, as we see here in Romans 5. Christ died for those who are of no value and of no good in our eyes. So as we consider Romans, this book that we're in, if you know anything about the book of Romans, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a book that's rich in doctrine. And we read much about God's sacrificial love for us. And many of us here today have been taught the Romans road when you know, you're, told, you're taught the witness to other people. Why is that? Because in the book of Romans, there's such a, a deep understanding of God's salvation for us. You know, it walks us through our sinful state. You know, it, it, it helps people to understand their sinful uh, standing before God. It shows us our need of God. And then we see God's mercy and grace throughout Romans. And then it brings us to a decision point of accepting or rejecting God. So when Paul would write his epistles, Paul, his pattern in his letters, would start with a strong doctrinal section 
and follow it with his exhortation for Christian living. So you take the doctrine and now you transition that to our life and how we ought to live it out. So Paul here, as we get to Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn there with me, we're going to see that Paul begs Christians to live a certain way in light of what God did for them. So that sacrifice that we saw Jesus Christ do for us here in Romans 5, now Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, and he begs us to consider what God has done for us. So Paul lays a doctrinal foundation uh, for us in Romans 1 to 11, and then we get to 12 where he turns it around now and says, okay, what are you going to do with what you see here? So Paul considered a sacrifice through man's standards, then he showed us a true picture of agape love and sacrifice through Jesus Christ, but now he calls us to action, and he calls us to sacrifice and transformation. And this morning, I want us to consider a transformed, or sorry, transformed living. As believers here today, we all need to have transformed living. So Romans chapter 12, and we'll read the first two verses this morning. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know if you've ever done this before in your life where Maybe you haven't seen a friend for a long time, or maybe you, you, you go home for the summer, and you get back, and you see your friend, and maybe they've done something different. They started working out, and you're like, man, how did you change? How did you lose so much weight? How did you get so jacked over the summer? And you want to find out, what did you do? So you start asking them questions. You say, man, I want to see some change in my life. You know, did you change your diet? Did you start working out more? What did you do? You know, how much is it going to cost? What gym do you go to? What kind of workouts do you do? And you start asking them all the, the different questions. You want to know, how did you get from point A to point B? What was the transformation like? And what work was involved? And maybe you even started yourself. And you said, okay, I'm going to go get a gym membership. I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm going to start doing all these things. And you started off. And you know what happens? You end up getting tired. It's not as fun anymore. And that transformation you saw in your friend, you're not seeing it in yourself, and you get, you get discouraged. You know, you started off right, but you didn't make all the necessary changes. You know, you didn't go to the gym as much, or maybe you didn't wake up as early as you should have, or maybe you didn't run as long as you could have. You know, for that transformation to have happened, there needed to be sacrifice. So you wanted to see the change, but you didn't want to make the sacrifice. And here in this passage today, we're besought by Paul to have a transformed life. But in order to see that transformation in our lives, there needs to be sacrifice. And we're going to see that here today in our passage. You know, many people seek change in their lives. Many people seek to transform what they have into something even greater. All you need to do is turn on the TV and all you see is shows about transformation, transforming your house, transforming your finances, transforming your family, your clothes, your makeover. It's all about transformation. But the truth is there's no more meaningful or life-altering, life-changing transformation 
than we can have through Jesus Christ. So when we read Romans 12, 1 to 2, you know, everyone says, hey, I want to have a transformed life. I want my life to be different. I want to know God's will for my life, and that's great, and you ought to have that desire. And Paul here makes it very clear for us. In order to have transformation, there needs to be sacrifice. So I'm just going to break this verse, these verses down, uh, really focus on uh, verse number one here this morning. But I want you to consider these, this, uh, this verse here. And the first thing that we notice here in verse number one, it says, I beseech you. I beseech you. So that word beseech is the idea of begging or pleading. You know, this wasn't an imperative command where Paul is telling and commanding them to do this, but rather it's an appeal. Paul here is saying, I want you to make this choice in your life. In fact, if you're the read through the New Testament epistles, we see that the apostles oftentimes would use this word beseech, where they would plead with believers, calling us to actions. We see this 27 times from Acts to Revelation. So Paul here is saying we have a choice to make. We're not being commanded, but rather we're being called to action. You know, we should be willing to live a transformed life. We should be willing to give our life a sacrifice. You know, many of the soldiers that we read about from World War I and World War II gave their lives not because they were commanded, but because they wanted to fight. You hear the stories of people who are underage, who enlisted under false identity because they wanted to serve. They wanted to fight for their country. They wanted to fight for their family. They wanted to fight for their loved ones. They wanted to fight against the evil that was in the world at that day. And they said, based upon all these things, I'm willing to fight. And Paul here is saying, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you by the mercies of God. He's saying, based upon all these things, I'm begging you to give your life for God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And I'm just going to look at this uh, section here where it says brethren. Paul here is addressing Christians. He's addressing Christians. You know, the world is seeking change, as I mentioned. And the world knows all about confirmation, to conform to something. You see it all over our society today. You know, I need to have that. Or that's the in thing, or I have to do that or experience that. You know, we see it all over social media with the challenges that go around, and you just need to conform. I want to be just like that. So the world knows confirmation, but then they seek reformation. They say, oh, well, things need to change. I can't keep going this way. My life is going in a wrong direction. And they seek self-help, and they seek motivation, and they seek inspirational books because they're looking for reformation. But what the world needs today is they need transformation, and they can't do that without Jesus Christ. And that's the same transformation we need to have in our lives today as believers, because as Paul beseeches us here in these verses, in verse number two, and he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, we want that transformation. We don't want to conform. That word conform that we read here in verse number two is suskes matizo, if you are a Greek student here today. And the idea of that is to shape 
or to fashion one thing like another. So you're to conform to that. You're, you're trying to mimic, you're trying to resemble something. I don't know if you've ever bought an item that was a knockoff before. I remember when I was in college and I did my missions trip to China and I went there and I was there with the missionaries and I said, look, I want a real memory card for my camera. I don't want a fake thing, I don't want a knockoff. So they talked to the, the salesperson in Mandarin and they communicated with them, oh yeah, for sure, you're getting the real deal. And I put that memory card and everything on it looked exact. It looked exactly like a, mem a Sony memory card for my camera. And that memory card worked great for the entire trip until I got home. Luckily, I was able to get the pictures off of it, but not long after that, you know what happened? The memory card died. It was unstable. And when I looked at the package and looked it up online, sure enough, it was a knockoff. It looked identical. It mimicked, but it wasn't the same thing. And in that idea of this word that is used here, it's something that's unstable. When you mimic something that's not quite the same, you're, you're not at the same standard and it's unstable. And that's what Paul is here is saying is, don't conform to this world. Don't try to be like this world. You can do your best to be like this world, but you'll never be like it. You're just gonna be a more unstable version of who you're supposed to be. He says, don't conform to this world, but be ye transformed. But before I move on to transformation, let me suggest this to you as well. Don't conform to other believers as well. Don't conform to other Christians. You know, Pastor Wall's idea of you being here at Faithway is not to conform and to be like him. He doesn't want you to go home to your home church and preach like him and be like him and start Faithway. You know what he wants for you? He wants you to be transformed. That's his desire for you is to change, to have true change, and to do God's perfect will for your life. So we don't conform to other be believers because you know what happens when we do that? We're still unstable. We're still not true to ourselves, and we're mimicking something rather than having real change in our lives. So what Paul here is saying is we need transformation. You need to be real. Don't be a fake. Be the real you who God wants you to be. And the word here that is used in verse number two for transform, that's metamorpho. And the idea of this is the word that comes from metamorphosis. If you know about science from elementary school and learning about the butterflies, what do they do? Or the caterpillars, sorry, they go into that cocoon and there's a metamorphosis. You know what happens? There's a real change. You know, they're not going into a closet and strapping wings on. No, there's a real change that happens from the inside out. And that's the same word that is used here. The root word for that is from this word, metamorpho, means to be real, the real deal. In fact, if you're to break down even more, the, the base word of that is morph or morphe. And if you're to look at Philippians 2 verse uh, five, where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or the morphe of God, which means 100% true God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form, or the morphe, or 100% human form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. So when you're in theology and you learn about how God was, or Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time, that's the word there, the form, morphe, real deal. He was 100% real God and 100% real man at the same time. And Paul here is saying you need to transform. You need to be the real deal. You don't need to mimic somebody else. You don't need to copy. You need to let God work in your life 
and be transformed. So Paul here says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And what is he beseeching us upon? By the mercies of God. So you guys in Bible college understand that when you come to the word therefore in the scripture, you need to understand what they're implying or what they're referring back to. What is it therefore? So Paul, what he's saying is, I beseech you by the mercies of God, based upon Romans 1 to 11, all that you read about, all the doctrines that's there, all that God has done for us, I'm begging you on behalf of this that you give yourselves to God on the mercies of God. So mercy is not getting what we deserve. As I mentioned, Romans is rich in doctrine, and we see so much in there. For example, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And so on and so on and so on. As you read through Romans 1 to 11, we see God's grace. We see God's mercy. We see God's goodness bestowed upon us in our lives. And we're so blessed to be shown mercy in our lives from what we deserve. We deserve separation from God. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us and paid the price for our sins. And even after we're saved, how many times have we turned our backs on God? Not lived the way we should Maybe not extended the mercy how God extended to us to other people. Not shown grace to other people. We live our lives separate from how God wants us to be. And so much mercy has been shown to us. And here in this passage, we're being begged, I beseech you by the mercies that have already been shown to you that you give your life to God. The basis of Paul's challenge to these Romans Christians and to us as well is the mercy of God. So he's saying, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, of all this that God has done for us, we must devote ourselves to God. We must dedicate and commit ourselves to him. The verse goes on to say, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is the idea of being all in. Laying it all down, complete resignation. You know, I'm gonna take both feet and jump in. God wants you today. He doesn't just want your works. People are doing all kinds of religious services and things but haven't actually given themselves to God. You know what they're doing? They're just telling their good works. They're trying to buy favor with those around them, trying to buy favor with their parents or maybe that person that they like or whoever it is, their pastor, but they haven't actually given themselves to God. But God's saying, I want you. I need you. And we have a choice to make. You know, we're exhorted throughout Scripture 
uh, so many times that we give our lives to God. 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, we're bought by the precious, precious blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you're bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We're shown God's mercy so much in our lives, and we read about it so much in scriptures. And we're to be a living sacrifice for him. A living sacrifice. That's not alive or dead. And the idea here is that it's a continual sacrifice. It's not once and done. It's how we live our lives. Luke 9, 23, and he said uh, to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to be living for him on a daily basis, a living sacrifice. You know, a living sacrifice means a constant, continuous sacrifice with our lives, not just occasional. It means that we sacrifice our body of its own desires and lives, and uh, we live for God. A living sacrifice means that the body lives for God by serving God, and we give up our own ambitions, our own desires, and serve God while we're here upon this earth. We ought to be a living sacrifice for him. So we see we're called to be a living sacrifice, but as well holy. As we understand the sacrifices that are found in the scriptures, sacrifices were always holy, set apart. They were without blemish. They were the best that you can give, and we ought to be giving our best to God. So as we live our lives and we're living sacrifice, that means we need to live our lives separate for a special purpose, to be living a life of consecration set apart for the work of Jesus Christ. Actually, turn with me back to Romans 6, since we're here already. Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 1. says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." We need to be living our lives as instruments set apart for the use of God's work. Instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. And we need to yield ourselves for that use. You know, we live in a day where people abuse their bodies. You know, I can do what I want with my body. We see that with alcohol. And unfortunately, that's a, a thing that's increasing among Christians today, where they abuse their body with alcohol, rather than setting themselves apart for the use and uh, for Jesus Christ. 
We see all kinds of abuse our bodies today, but let me remind you here today, we are bought with a price. What are you yielding yourselves to? Are you yielding yourselves to the world? Are you conforming to that? Or are you setting yourselves apart as an instrument of righteousness for the use of the master? Holy, acceptable unto God. Acceptable unto God. Is your service acceptable to him today? Do you have the right heart motivation? In Isaiah 1, we see here that all the people are doing these sacrifices and these motions of worship before the Lord, and it wasn't coming from a pure spirit or a true heart attitude. And in Isaiah 1:11, God says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goods, goats. God here is saying, I don't need your sacrifices. What I need is your heart. I need it to be true. And you could be here today and you could say, well, I'm at Bible college and when I go home, I work on the bus and I teach Sunday school and I do all these things. Yeah, you do all those things, but where's your heart? Do you have the right heart attitude? Do you have the right motivation for serving God? Or is it empty like the children of Israel who are giving empty things to God? What is your heart attitude and your sacrifice? We see that throughout scripture. We saw it with Cain and Abel and Cain having the wrong attitude as he offered unto God with a wrong heart. You can't truly be an acceptable sacrifice here today if you're holding things back. If you're not being all in. If we're not presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. If we're not being holy. If our work is not actually acceptable unto God with what he's requesting from us. So what's your heart, or where's your heart today? And I want to finish up, excuse me, with this. Paul here at the end of verse number one says, which is your reasonable service? Your reasonable service. You know, you think about all those men who gave their lives to fight for our country. And what they faced and what they had laid before them and the choices that they had to make, you know what they said? This is my reasonable service that I would give my life so that my family might live. It's my reasonable service so that I'd give my life so that we defeat this evil that is in our world today, so that our country can have freedom, that we can go on living for the Lord. And Paul here is saying, is based upon what is laid out before you, based upon everything that you see here, this is your reasonable service. If you're to look at the Greek word here for reasonable, we see the root word that we get the word logical from. You know what Paul's saying? He said, when you look at everything that's laid out before you, you see that everything that Jesus Christ has done for you, you know what the reasonable thing to do is? Is to give your life back to him. To live for him. To live a holy life acceptable unto God. Have you ever bartered with somebody? Maybe you bought something off a marketplace and you're saying, well, what's the price here? What do you think this is worth to you? And Paul here is saying, because of the evidence that is at hand, because of the mercies that have been bestowed upon your life, this is the reasonable price, the reasonable service to give your life for him. I'm going to finish with this 
illustration here this morning as we consider our sacrifice. And this is a story of my favorite uh, missionary, and it's William Borden. And in 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. He was heir to the Borden family fortune, and he was already wealthy, graduating. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave the 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. When William Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary, his one friend expressed disbelief that Bill would give up his life, throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. He wrote, no reserves. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, trying to look like just one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead, spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart and full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who, we who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock, just because of the settled purpose and consecration. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry into his personal journal that defined um, what his classmates were seeing in him. The entry simply said, say no to self and yes to and say yes every time. Borden's small morning prayer group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said of him, he certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I always felt he was one of the stuff martyrs were made of, and heroic missionaries of more modern times. Upon graduation Yale, at, uh, from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. He was already a millionaire because of his family fortune, but in his Bible, Bill Borden wrote two more words, no retreats. He wasn't gonna turn back for anything. William Borden went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China because he was hoping to work with Muslims. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, he is reported to have written, no regrets. He was all in, he was living, a living sacrifice. He wasn't going to hold anything back. You know, when I was in Bible college, I came here my freshman year in 2005, and I didn't know a, a ton of people, but as you guys all experience when you get here, you get to meet people really quick and you build friendships really quick. And one of my best friends that I had in college was Joel Michelle, and many of you know Joel. And Joel reminded me so much of William Borden because he was always all in. 
There was never anything fake about him. He was always real. He was always sincere. He always had a heart for other people. And I remember in our freshman year hearing about the story of William Borden and hearing those, no, and hearing those words, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. And I remember there were several times in our second semester of our freshman year that we were having a rough time. And Joel would remind us, no retreats. He would say, no, there's no turning back. We're all in. This is what we're doing. And many of you know, Joel, from a young age, from a teenager, he had a call to be a missionary to the Netherlands. He said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be a missionary there. He already knew who he was going to go work with, and in fact, he already started going every week to his grandma's house to learn Dutch. That's how given he was to being a missionary as a teenager. He was all in. And of course, we get through college, we graduate, and Joel and his family go on to deputation, and they head over to the Netherlands and serve there as missionaries. And not too long after Joel being in the Netherlands is involved in a fatal car crash that takes his life. And you say, isn't that just a waste? Look at this young man who had all the potential, and he had a great job in college, and he could have been working for the family company, and he could have been doing all these things. But he had no reserves. He wasn't holding anything back. He had no retreats. He wasn't going to let anything stop him. And I'm sure in heaven today, Joel is saying no regrets. There was no regrets. You know why? He gave his life as a living sacrifice. That was his reasonable service based upon what God had done for him. And if you're to go to Joel's tombstone today, written on his tombstone are those words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. So let me ask you today, are you all in? Not because your parents want you to be all in, not because Pastor Wall or the staff here want you to be all in. Are you all in because that's what God wants from you? Are you all in based upon the mercies where Paul is begging us to give our lives a living sacrifice. And let me clarify this. To be all in doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to be a vocational preacher or missionary, and that's going to be my full-time job. No, every one of us as believers are called to full-time ministry, to be full-time Christians. You know, when I gave my life to God in college in my third year, I had no idea what God wanted for me. Was I going to be a missionary? Was I going to be a pastor? Was I going to just serve in a church and work a lay lay job? But the fact is, we all need to give our lives to him. We don't need to be a certain age. We don't need to get a certain stage in our life. You don't need to be, uh, you can't be too young to be all in. But we need to make that decision today. Do you want to have a transformed life? Do you want to know God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life? Well, you need to have that sacrificial life. You know, as we consider the world around us today being torn apart by war, let me suggest to you today that there's a greater warfare being waged today. And we as believers, you who are sitting here in Bible college during these days, you're being called to take a stand more than ever. But consider the sacrifice of Jesus and his mercy and grace. 
he has bestowed upon your life. And the more you learn about him and the more you study about him, the more it should be clear that your reasonable service is to give your life for him. So let me ask you, and let's close this morning with this question. What is your reasonable service to God in light of what he's done for you today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for your agape love that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. When we were unworthy and incapable of saving ourselves, Lord, you're willing to become man to die on the cross for us. And Lord, would we just get a small grasp of that today, Lord, and realize that based upon that, it's our only logical or reasonable choice is to serve you day in, day out with our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with each and every Bible college student who is here today, Lord, that you'd work on their hearts, despite the desires that they'd have for their life, the goals that they may set out, that Lord, you would be at the forefront of their Uh, goal and desires, that, Lord, you'd be leading in their lives and that you'd use them each in a mighty way. But, Lord, I pray that that would start with them giving their lives back to you. We pray these things in your son's name. Thank you for joining us on today's Chapel Podcast. We hope it was an encouragement and a help to you. If you have any questions or are interested in knowing more about our college, feel free to contact us through our website, fbccanada.org or on any of our social media platforms. And as always, may Christ be lifted up, God be glorified, and servants be trained for the Master's plan. Thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful day.